Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad that you're here. Let's stand up and let's just sing to the Lord. We're going to ask him to open up the heaven that we may praise him and we can see who he is.
First Baptist Church, we're so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And if you're a guest with us, we're especially glad that you're here. We would love to get to know you. One of the ways that we can do that is through the guest card that's located in front of you in the pew rack. If you could take one of those out and fill it out for us. Uh, after the service, if you go left to the Welcome Center, uh, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, will be there. And he's got a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship. But if you want to remain anonymous today, you can kind of just drop it there on the desk and uh, kind of wave on your way out. We would just love to get a record of you being here and get to know you. Uh, it's just a way that we can connect. And so today we are celebrating our North American mission offering uh, results, I guess you could say. And so we set a goal of $20,000 for our North American missions offering. It's the most we had ever set. And uh, we're going to look at the final result here in a second. But $20,000, and here is where we ended up. We ended up right at about $27,485 and some change. So this is going to be used to, to send the gospel all throughout North America to plant churches, to revitalize, even doing Tennessee missions, the Jesus Tent, all the disaster relief you've been seeing online and things like that such an incredible thing. So we just want to thank God for how he's using our church right now. And I just want to take a moment to pray and then we'll continue to worship together. Let's worship. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. And God, as we celebrate $20,000 going out from our church, um, God, to advance the kingdom here in North America, we just want to thank you for your goodness to us, God. And Lord, as we are blessed, we want to be a blessing. So we thank you for all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Oh, we are so thankful for all that Jesus has done for us. Uh, it seems funny if you're not from the Christian faith or if you're, it, it may seem strange, but we sing about the blood of Jesus. But that's because Jesus gave his blood. He, he gave his life for us that we may have freedom, that we may have eternity with him in heaven through salvation through him. And that's what this song is about. Let's just sing about the blood of Jesus. Let's sit. Will you stand with us and let's sing together?
is faithful and never changing through the ages.
praise the Lord. As they're going down, let's just, I want to just sing that one more time quietly. The Lord our God is ever faithful. You believe that? Never changing through the ages from this darkness. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to worship with you. I brought some peanuts with me today. Um, if you uh, eat a peanut like this, how do you eat it? Well, you break open the shell and you get out what's inside the kernel and that's what you're after. That's what you eat. Whoops. And with that one got another one. Uh, what do you do then with the shell? Well, if you're at a ball game, you probably just drop it on the bleachers there, don't you? If you uh, are at, at Logan's, they used to encourage you to throw the peanut shells on the floor. Uh, they would say, ah, throw them on the floor. But then they had a series of lawsuits uh, where people slipped on peanut hulls and sued them for millions of dollars. And so now, if you go to Logan's, they don't encourage you to throw them on the floor. They have a little bucket or, or whatever, if they even have peanuts anymore there. But the point is, you don't value the shell. You just value what's inside. Uh, you throw away the shell. That's a good view of peanuts, that's a bad view of the human body, and that peanut view of the body is what's prevailing in our culture now. The idea that the body is just a shell, it's not the real you, and it's expendable, it's of no value. What's really you is what's inside, and there's a dualism, a dichotomy between the two. We see this especially in our culture in the uh, transgender movement. And in the transgender movement, the idea is I've got the wrong body. I'm trapped in the wrong shell. This is the real me. The body is not me, and, and I hate my body. My body is a mistake, and I need to change that. And that's a devaluing of the human body. That's not the Christian view of the body. Uh, but that is the view that's permeating our culture now. This is not me, and I've got the wrong one. It's not just in the transgender movement that we see this distorted view, this devaluing of the human body. You see it uh, today in the uh, culture of casual sex, in the hookup culture, that wants to keep the physical separate from any love and commitment and entanglement, and that's just biological and that's not connected with who I am. Nancy Piercy in her uh, book, uh, Love Thy Body, uh, tells of a New York Times article where it gave advice to young girls to say to them, uh, uh, just keep it real casual, 
keep it purely sexual, that way no one gets hurt. You get the idea here? That what you're doing in your body doesn't affect you. It's not the real you. You just keep that biological, and it's, and it's not affecting the real you. We see this view, uh, this distorted view of the human body in the abortion movement it is, as well. Uh, as, um, as ultrasound technology has improved, it's easy to see that that little baby in a mother's womb is uh, a fully formed or a developing body with eyes and ears and nose and limbs and legs. But, but the modern movement says, yes, but that's not a person. John Kerry, when he was running for president in 2004, said, uh, 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 confirmed that life begins at conception, but he said it's not the kind of life that takes on personhood. Whatever that means, it's obviously a separation of the physical body from the person. So the person now is not dependent on the body. You get this, you get this view? I, I think it, it works in euthanasia. We, we kill off old people because that's, they're, they're, they're not of the same value. And I think it's going to have an impact, this view of the human body is going to have an impact with artificial intelligence that we're hearing so much about. And I certainly don't understand all of that. And I'm sure there are going to be some great things that come from artificial intelligence, just like many of the things that we have. Uh, they have some good implications, but they also have some, some bad implications. Well, uh, artificial intelligence, you see, you can get to the point where maybe they're more persons than those of us with bodies are. But they could be more valued than us because the biological now does not have the same value. You get the idea of where we're going when you create this dualism and you devalue the human body? This devaluing of the human body is not new. In ancient Corinth, we're going to look today at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, and in ancient Corinth, let me give you a little background, they had this same devaluing of the human body and this dualism, this separation between the two. Corinth was a very immoral city. If you look at a map of Greece, it's like an hourglass with a lobe at the top and a lobe at the bottom, and Corinth is right, if there, or a figure eight, and Corinth is right at that intersection point. So that all the sea trade going across from one sea to another went through there, everything from north to south went through there. Cosmopolitan city with sailors from all over the world, so all the worst came through Corinth. In addition to that, Corinth has a mountain, you can still see it there in the ruins of Corinth, with a temple on top to Aphrodite, the goddess of love and fertility. And they had cult prostitutes there. And so if you want your crops to be fertile, your children to bear, your animals to bear, you engage in this cult prostitution, and that's the way of bringing about fertility. So you've got all this culture of immorality there. And it brought about a low view of the body. We're going to see it in this chapter. Let me, let's begin at verse 9. We're going to, really going to focus on verses 13 and following, but let me give you the background. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9, Do you not know... Now, that phrase will be several times in this. These are things Christians ought to know. Do you not know? Uh, they probably got a problem with the screen, so you've got a Bible. You look it up in your Bible, or you get one out of the pew rack right there in front of you, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And here's a list of people who are not going to go to heaven, folks. It says... Do not be deceived. So you'll, you'll, there'll be an effort to deceive you on this issue. 
the effort to make you think that this is not true, but do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, a Christian can commit any of those sins, can fall into those and be forgiven, but if that characterizes your life, if that's the characterization of your life, if you're a swin you can gossip, and that doesn't mean you lose your salvation and you go to hell, but if you're a continual slanderer, you can make a wrong business decision and be forgiven, you can repent of cheating a client and be forgiven, uh, that doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. But if that cheating characterizes your life, that slander characterizes your life, homosexuality characterizes your life, if adultery characterizes your life, then it says you're not going to heaven. You won't inherit the kingdom of God because even though salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that grace transforms you. And if you're not transformed, it's an indicator you haven't received that gift and you're not going to heaven. But then look at this next great verse, verse 11. And that is what some of you were. God can save anybody. If you've done any of those things or all of those things, you can be forgiven. There's no sin that can't be forgiven, and God can rescue you out of anything. Don't buy into the culture that says to you that some of these people can't change, that you can't change. That's what you're hearing. This verse says, that's what some of you were. Paul says you can change. Paul says that, that but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. If, if Paul preached that in Canada today, he would be arrested for a hate speech. Uh, you could read these verses and probably be arrested in Canada for hate speech. Thank God we're not hardly there yet. But hear this, he's saying that you can be changed from any of that. God loves you if you're a, if you're a, a if you're uh, committed transgender, if you're in homosexual movement, if you're whatever, he loves you. He wants to save you, and he can wash you, sanctify you, justify you in the name. And this church at Corinth, some of these people in this, Paul planted a church in one of the worst places in the world. We can live in a culture that's impure. Don't think we can't do that. They did it at Corinth. We can too. We can be different. He planted a church there. But some of, hey, there we are on the screen. And some, of, uh, some of these Corinthians were still buying into this bad view of the body. Listen to it in verses 12 and 13, the next verses. I have the right to do anything you say. So you see that's in quotation marks. So Paul apparently here is quoting the slogans of some of the Corinthians who had this peanut view of the body that the body doesn't matter. You can do anything in the body because that's not the real you. Be a Christian and still do anything in the body. They were saying, I have the right to do anything, you say. And then Paul adds, his, but not everything is beneficial. I have the uh, right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now listen to verse 13. Here's where you see this view of the body. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. So they're making a comparison between food and sex. And one of the issues at Corinth, you read the rest of the book, you'll get it. They weren't sure about eating meat that had been offered to idols. And Paul's argument is uh, that, that, that it's just meat, it's okay, go ahead and eat it. And so they're making, they're saying, okay, so if you say that food, then, then the food doesn't affect us, then the same thing with anything else that you do with the body and sexuality does not either. So here's the deal you need to understand about cults and about people that get off base. There's always some, not always, but there's usually some truth mixed with some error. It's not all error. 
they got a little bit of truth here. That is, that, um, uh, that what you eat does not pollute your spirit. Let me share with you. Let's, let's just jump to Mark chapter 7, or Mark chapter 9. Nope, nope, right the first time. Um, Mark chapter 7, verses 18. Here's what Jesus said. Are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it does not go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. So Jesus had said this about food. So these Corinthians apparently are picking up on that and saying, yeah, Jesus said what goes into a body doesn't defile them. It's what comes out of a body. So that's, and they're making that comparison to sexual intimacy. You see how there's half-truth and it's not the same with sex. It's like mixing cake batter with horse manure, you know. Uh, it, it just, it, it, the, the, the cake batter doesn't purify the horse manure. The horse manure makes the cake batter bad. Are you with me here? Are you with me? And that's what they're doing. So they're taking this idea of food and saying this applies to sex. So, but Paul says in verse 13, if we can go back to 1 Corinthians 6, 13, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So, Make sure you understand what we're talking about. Sexual immorality, that word there is the word pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. In Greek, we get our word porn from it. This is where the word porn comes from, that two-word phrase there, sexual immorality. So sexual immorality is anything outside of God's plan for sexual intimacy. It is premarital sex. It is adultery, extramarital sex. It is homosexuality. It is any other perversion other than the good, beautiful, wonderful way that God created for intimacy to be expressed. That's good. God's good creation. Anything outside of that is pornea. It is sexual immorality. And here is his emphasis on the body. The next eight verses, we're going to see the word body six times. That's the key word in this passage. This is a Christian theology of the body. And for Christians, we're not going to participate in that. We're not going to say, I can be um, in homosexuality and in that, or I can, I can have pre live with somebody before I'm married, because the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. If you say in baptism, Jesus is Lord, he's Lord over all of you. Now, here's what we as Christians sometimes say, and it's right. We say, I gave my heart to Jesus, right? I invited Jesus into my heart. And that's a, that's a biblical expression. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. You ought to invite Jesus into your heart. But what I want under, you to understand is, don't just give him your heart, give him your body too. Because the, it doesn't say the heart is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. He's Lord over all of you. And don't just think, oh, I've given him my, my uh, heart. So it doesn't matter as much what I do with my body. That's what they were saying. Food for the body. body. So there are Christians today who believe they've given Jesus their heart, but they're living together outside of marriage, and they think they're just in great, great shape. You hear this dichotomy that they're making? Oh, I'm saved. I've given my heart to Jesus. What are you doing with your body? The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. When he's Lord, he's Lord of all. He's Lord over heart and soul and body and give your body to the Lord. So we're going to see here in this passage four reasons why Christians should not be involved in sexual immorality in any of these forms. Or on a broader scale, four reasons that Christians should value and honor and respect the human body. This is a Christian view 
of the body. Let's look at these four reasons that we're to respect the body, four reasons that we don't commit immorality. Number one, because God will raise your body from the dead. Now, I talked about this one a little bit last week on Easter. They were arguing, the verse before, you remember it says, the body for destruction. Uh, he's going to destroy the stomach and the food, and everything's destroyed. So they were arguing from the future state, well, God's just going to destroy the body, so it doesn't matter what you do with the body now. So if they're going to argue from the future state of that, Paul's going to go even farther and say God's going to raise the body from the dead. We believe the body is valuable. God believes it's so valuable. He's going to give you a body for all eternity. If so, if the body is so important that in all eternity you'll be in a new heaven and a new earth with a glorified spiritual body, then you ought to value your body now. There's a continuity between the two. And we Christians can buy into this dual version of the body a little bit when we uh, talk about heaven. Now, we do believe, let me give you another peanut here, we do believe that when you die, your body and your spirit are going to be separated. And so your spirit, the moment you die, is going to leave your body and go to be with the Lord in heaven. And your body is going to be buried or cremated or uh, gone. And, but here's the deal. We don't believe that's the final hope. And we can buy into this view a little bit when we talk about this as being everything, this state of being without the body. This only lasts until Jesus Christ comes back again. Because when he comes back again, he's going he's gonna to raise the body from the dead. And I've stepped all over these. I can't put them back together. But you know what? Jesus can. No matter how much they have been disintegrated, it does not matter. God is more powerful. He'll reassemble those molecules. And, and he'll, he'll bring with him those who are falling asleep in Jesus. Here comes the kernel. Here comes the shell, and he's going to put the peanut back in the shell in a better shell of glorified, still you, but a glorified body. So now, if we talk about this disembodied state in heaven between now and the end time as being all there is, we're sort of buying into this devaluation of the human body. And I hear people at funerals say, and I don't correct them, I, that's, that's fine, I understand, but, but really, let me tell you, we talk about my grandpa loved to fish, and I'm sure he's up there fishing somewhere in heaven right now. He loved woodworking and I bet he's working with wood up there. Well, I tell you what, I believe in the new heaven and the new earth after the resurrection. Your grandpa might very well be fishing. I think that's entirely possible in the new heaven and new earth. I think woodworking is entirely possible in the heaven. I'm not sure that right now he's doing any woodworking or fishing up in heaven. Because it's not finished yet, folks. Yes, it's better by far, the Bible says. Yes, you're with Jesus. Yes, there's no pain, no hurt. Yes, you're reunited with those who have gone so far ahead, but not with everybody yet. But the ultimate hope is that resurrection to the dead. And Paul says that ought to affect how we live now. Number one, why do you respect your body? Because God will raise your body from the dead. It has eternal significance. So start now treating it the way God will treat it for all eternity with value and respect. Number two. Because your body is a member of Christ. Your body is a member of Christ. Let me read to you verse 15. Do you not know? Here's something else that Christians ought to know. Hear that phrase again. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So when you believe in Jesus, there is a union that takes place with you and, and Jesus. 
We've, we saw, talked about how it's represented in baptism. We've united with him in his death and burial and reunited with him in his resurrection. You're, you're joined to Jesus spiritually. So Paul says, because of that, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. He recoils against that, he says. So he's saying, if you're united with Christ, then why would you take Christ and unite him with a prostitute? He's saying that's what you're doing because you're united with him. And so what you do in the body matters a great deal. Now he goes on to say, do you not know, verse 16, that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it says the two will become one flesh. So what Paul is saying here is that when two people are together in sexual intimacy, there's a bond that takes place whether you want to admit it or not. You may think it's casual, it's hookup, it's just biological, no feelings are involved. There's a bond that takes place, he says, two become one flesh. And modern medicine is bearing out what Paul said. And medical research tells us that during sexual intimacy, that in the female brain, there is a chemical release called oxytocin, and that creates a sense of trust and commitment. Paul's way ahead of his time. Lauren Winter of Duke University therefore translated this verse, Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Your body makes a promise whether you do or not because that's how God created you for this action to be one of unifying and bringing together. And so you're all, why are you all messed up and why is our world all messed up sexually? Because we've, we've eschewed God's plan and we have made these bodily connections that, that just mess up our minds and our sense of commitment and trust and, and well-being and, and, and we hate ourselves because of it. And God says, I designed this for two to become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is with him in spirit. All right, the third reason that we value and respect the human body in all of its forms and that we don't engage as Christians in sexual immorality because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me read beginning at verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. So he says, put some distance between yourself and sexual immorality. Put some boundaries don't be the person who tries to get as close to the edge as you can without falling over. Put some, put some boundaries there. Flee sexual immorality. And I've had Christian young people say to me, well, I'm, a girl says, I'm living with a guy. There's nothing happening, but economically we just got to share an apartment. We need a roommate. Is, is that what God is really saying in this passage here? No, he's saying there needs to be some distance, some boundaries. And he says... Um, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against your own body. Now, we would probably try to push back against that and argue with Paul a little and say, really, Paul, aren't there other sins that are against the body? If you get drunk, if you use drugs continuously, if you commit suicide, aren't those certainly sins against the body? So it's a little hard for us to understand what Paul is saying there, but Paul seems to be saying that this sin affects you as no other sin does because God has created it to make this bond of trust and because 
you are united with Christ. And so it's different in its effect from any other. He says, and then he says, verse 19, Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? He doesn't say your heart's the temple of the Holy Spirit. He says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he lives within you. So when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in this peanut shell right here. He lives in your body. And he says, therefore, treat your body as a temple. And... uh, we need this view of the body as the dwelling place of God. And, and sometimes people treat this church building with greater respect than they do their own body because we sort of think it's special and God's sort of here. Let me tell you, we ought to treat this church building with respect because it's got the name of Christ on it. But he doesn't dwell in this room any more than any other room when you're not here, when the church is not here. He doesn't dwell in here anymore. And some of you... Maybe you were, you're out at night and uh, young people and uh, somebody said, hey, let's go shoot the stained glass windows out of First Baptist Church and throw paint on the brick. Wouldn't that be cool? And you might say, I'm not going to do that to a church. But you don't treat your body with that same reverence and holiness and purity. And your body is more a temple of the Holy Spirit than this building is. That's where he resides. The fourth reason, he says, that we value the human body and we don't engage in sexual immorality. The culture out there may be doing differently, but we got to be different, folks. Here's why. Fourth reason, because your body is not your own. It was purchased by Christ and belongs to him. Let me read it to you in the latter part of verse 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So if you're a Christian, you can't say, it's my body. I'll do with it what I want to. I'll transition it. I'll sleep with who I want to. You can't. It's not yours. It belongs to Jesus. It used to be yours, and you messed it up. That's why you became a Christian. You got it enslaved to sin. And Jesus liberated you from sin. There was a slave market at Corinth, a big slave market. Captives from wars would come in that crossroads town and be sold there. They knew about redeeming slaves. And Paul said, yeah, you used to have your body, and you can still have your body, but you're going to be enslaved to sin. But you've chosen to believe in Christ, and when you did, he redeemed you. He bought you, and so now it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. You can't do what you want to with your body. You better ask Jesus about it, because he owns you. And it's his body now. And you were bought with a price. And you know what that price was? The price was his body. And the ultimate thing that tells us the body is special, the human body is not to be degraded and treated lowly, is that God took on human body in the incarnation. He became flesh and blood for us, and he died 
for us on the cross. He gave his body to redeem our body. He gave his blood that we sang about to redeem us. The price was his blood. Let me read it to you in Revelation 5, 9. Here's what they're singing in heaven and what we'll sing for all eternity. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so, your body belongs to Jesus. And it was at the price of his blood, his flesh and blood body that he redeemed your body. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so, Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your hearts as a living sacrifice. Is that what it says? No, that'd be good. Offer your hearts as a living sacrifice. But it says to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so we're living in a culture that has a dualistic, dichotomous view of the human person that does not value the body, and we're seeing it in so many ways. And we Christians hold up a wholeness that God created us body and spirit, that that's how we are, and that's how we'll be in all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. And so we value the human body. We value the unborn. We value the old. We value those who are mentally disabled. We value our own bodies. We won't hate our bodies. We won't cut our bodies. We won't uh, talk about how bad they are. and We won't transition our bodies. We won't defile our bodies with impurity. We will offer our bodies to the one who gave his body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And sometimes we'll be running against the culture. That's nothing new. They had to do it at Corinth. Don't whine that it's so terrible you can't be a Christian in this culture. It was just as bad then. We can do it. We're called to it. And we'll be a light and a witness to those who are just so messed up and confused. God loves them. And God can redeem them. And if you're struggling with your sexual identity, or if you have been promiscuous or or committed adultery. God loves you. He can forgive you. He can purify you and make you holy. You may feel dirty. No, God, God can sanctify, justify, and wash, that verse says. Anything in your life. And he loves you, and he wants you to be on the path to wholeness again. And if you will just humble yourself before him and say, Jesus, I need your help, he'll forgive your sin. He'll begin the process of restoration in your life so that you can say, I present, in the view of God's mercy, I offer my body a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is my true worship. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then we're going to sing together. Would you stand with me? Oh, Jesus, thank you that you came in a body. Thank you that you love us. And... Uh, 
Jesus, I, I just want to pray. Maybe there's a person here who's struggling with a poor body image or who hates who they are or doesn't feel good about themselves or maybe there's a person who knows they've sinned and they feel awful and dirty. And Lord, I pray that as they cry out to you in humble faith, you'll wash them and sanctify them and cleanse them. I pray they'll be baptized to symbol that, symbolize that unity with you and that faith in you. Oh, God, give them a new beginning right now. And for all of us, Lord, help us day by day in our work and our play to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. You want to come today for prayer? You want to come and confess your faith in Jesus Christ? I invite you to walk forward as we sing. Meet me here and we'll rejoice with you. Thank you.
Daniel's coming to uh, close us out. I just want to say a word as he comes. We have our member meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. If you're a member of First Baptist Church, we want to encourage you to be here. We have great testimonies, have a report from our lead pastor search team, other things. 6 o'clock tonight in this room. Hope you'll be here. Thank you. Daniel? All right, I want you to do something. I want you to get your phones out, especially if you have the Realm Connect app on your phone, and hopefully uh, some of you do. I know we're still trying to get everybody on board with that. Uh, if you don't have the Realm Connect phone, uh, app on your phone, uh, we'll be, uh, you should have gotten an email if you're in a connection group. You might check the email, see about that. If you don't have that, email me at realm.fbc at gmail.com. That'll get you uh, uh, in touch with me, and I can send you out a reminder to get that set up. I'm also going to have a QR code that you can scan with your phone to get that loaded on your phones here in the coming weeks. I'll have more information in the newsletter to kind of explain some of this. But we've been talking about the human body, now we're going to talk about the body of Christ and how we serve together. So uh, if you get your uh, app open, and uh, uh, then uh, we're going to navigate to the serving part in your app. Now, if you have an iPhone, it's going to be in the lower right. It'll say more with three dots in the bottom right. If you have an Android or if you're on your PC, uh, it's the upper left. There's three lines. It'll drop down menu, and then you navigate. Once you go there, there'll be a... My, my uh, clothes washer just finished. So, there you go. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> just got a notification. Uh, sorry. Uh, serving. You click on serving. And uh, then uh, on the when you get to serving, there are three tabs across the top. And you get to the middle tab. It says serving profile. Below there, there's, uh, it has skills and interests that are listed. So, you can go to the skills and you can has all these skills listed. These are things that we do in church, things that uh, might be helpful to church ministries or whatever. You can check those skills. Then you can go to the interests, and the interests are related to kind of the big buckets of ministry. It might be children, it might be students, it might be worship, evangelism. It goes to these interests. So you can check those things. Then once you've done that, it'll connect to the opportunities that we have here at the church that we've entered. And then you can go to the opportunities tab, which is on the top, to the right there, and then you can browse by role as role, and it has different roles that might be a good fit for you. It has different teams that might be a good fit for you, and you can potentially request uh, to be a part of those teams. It's not you're not obligated to anything doing this. Okay, don't think this is some way that we're you know roping you into anything. It is just a tool to help you know how you may be able to serve and use the gift that God's given you in the church and in the life of a person. Hey, I, don't see, I don't see dessert taster on here anywhere. Well, we'll but, add that, Todd, just for the, you. Put that on there somewhere? Yeah, yeah. We, got, we got that. So, uh, yeah, so uh, you've got all these, all these things. Again, this is a tool. And uh, so uh, check this out if you've got it on your phone. Now, okay, if you are uh, confused or just completely unimpressed, here's the deal. We have this thing called paper. And... Uh, uh, at, the, there's a, at the library, at the Welcome Center, uh, there are paper forms. You can check these things off, return them to the boxes there where you get the form, and that'll do the same same trick. So uh, we'll get that connected to uh, the, the information. And uh, again, it's a way that you can understand your role in the body of Christ as we serve uh, and, and we uh, honor God. So uh, there's another one of my long announcements. Eventually, I'll stop doing this. I, I hope. So uh, thank you for listening. Preacher's got to preach. Yeah, there you go. Let's, let's pray.
God, we thank you for this time to gather and worship. We thank you that you are you love us. And uh, God, help us to honor you and all that we do. Help us to serve you uh, and use our gifts and talents for you, God. Um, I pray that you would just uh, be with the folks that we go into uh, connection groups, uh, that we would find encouragement uh, studying your word. 